This is the John Oliver Podcast. Our goal is to help you think outside of the box or motivate you to pursue your goals. This is John Oliver. Thank you for listening to the John Oliver Podcast. As always, I'm joined by my son, director and producer, Eli. How's it going? Doing well. Good, good. What do you think about, uh, you overheard some of the prep from today's show. What do you think? I'm excited to hear about that research. Sounds good. Yeah, we did some uh, research uh, again on the Skinner box, the 1960s stuff. So let me tell you what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about today addiction. Not a, a great uh, fuzzy topic uh, to talk about, but um, I wanted to talk about this because I encountered a longtime friend that uh, I discovered. I haven't talked to him for a very long time. Discovered that uh, they have a drug problem. And um, he calls himself an addict. And um, it all flashed back of, of everything, of how I was brought up and my whole perception. And, and that's what I want to talk about today. So um, I don't want to give the textbook definition of, uh, of being an addict or addicted to something. But here's, here's my childhood of, of when I first heard the term and figured out what it was. And it was... Um, from the television, unfortunately, um, and this was a commercial um, back in the 80s, and he set the scene for you. It was pretty simple. It was like 15 seconds. I don't think it was a 30-second spot, but it was like 15 seconds, and they put it in the perfect spot because back in the day, you used to sit down with your family and turn into one of the big four or three networks and watch a show, and it was right in between. And this was a cast iron pan, I believe, and... You could tell that there was a little butter or oil or something in the pan from a from a cook's perspective. And then a tagline came up, and it says, this is your brain. And it was a hand holding an egg. And then they cracked the egg, and it hit the frying pan at a distance. It wasn't like they just put it in there and try not to break the yolk. They cracked it from a distance, and the egg splattered in the pan. And it immediately hit that oil and just started frying instantly. You know, the, the yolk turned white. Um... You could tell that it, it stopped it stopped drifting and it, it just turned to harden up and you know this is your brain this is your brain on drugs so being a kid that was massively impactful because this commercial was run over and over and over and over again and so my perspective of that was oh my gosh if I do drugs I'm gonna fry my brain and you can't put the egg back in the shell and I'm thinking uh, anybody that I know is doing drugs. If I see drugs, I'm going to stay away from this stuff because it's irreversible. That there's 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 no antidote, um, and all I'm I'm getting this from a 15 second spot, and it was impactful. And I think you know it achieved whoever created that spot. It 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 achieved the goal. So uh, growing up, I had uh, a couple of family members, um, different time periods of my life that were. That could be considered an addict. One was uh, alcohol and maybe some drugs I don't know about. And the other one was definitely drugs. And um, I made choices growing up. The first one, I think I was too young to make any choices. They were made for me. And the second one was all me. And I, I wish I could go back and change how I handled the situation. Because at first, um, I jumped in with both feet and was like, I'm going to help this person. I'm going to do everything I can. And uh, I got burned. And then I jumped back in again and tried to do all I can to help this person. And I got burned. And I jumped back in and tried to help this person. And it affected my kids. And then I'm done. 
hands up, done, pulled away, and have have been pulled away to date. You know, my son's 16, my daughter's 20, so it's been a long time. And this person could still be in it, I don't know. And my mindset is is skewed because of that. But that's why I want to talk about this. And, you know, I'm a movie buff and I'm a show buff, you know, good flicks. And there was a, uh, a show and this was like a storyline in the show. And, um, this, this really hit home for me and it was talking about being an addict. Um, and, and here's how the little anecdote goes. So this guy's walking down the street when he falls in a hole uh, the walls are so steep, he can't get out. So he's stuck. A, a doctor passes by, and the guy shouts up, says, Hey, can you help me out? The doctor writes a prescription, throws it down in the hole, and moves on. Then a priest comes along, and the guy shouts up, Father, I'm down in this hole. Can you help me out? And the priest writes out a prayer and throws it down into the hole and moves on. Then a friend walks by, says, Hey, Joe, it's me. Can you help me out? And the friend jumps in the hole. And the guy says, are you stupid? Now we're both down here. And the friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before, and I know the way out. Well, I've never been an addict. I've never had that issue. You know, I'll take the 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 President Clinton approach, and I I did not inhale. No, no, I didn't. I I didn't mess with the stuff uh, again. The 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 spot commercial affected me dramatically, so I didn't touch the stuff. But with with those two people and the one specifically in mind that were family members, I wish I would have jumped in the hole. And uh, you can maybe say I did a few times there before I, you know before I get burned. Then you know you're gonna I got to protect your kids, you got to protect your family, and yeah, but I could have done that from a distance or. You know, as the kids grow older and able to make good decisions for themselves and uh, not put them in any situation um, relative to this person and then jumped back in and help them out. And I, I just never did that. So it made me start digging into some research. So the first one, as we talked about at the beginning of this, was the Skinner box. Um, back in the 1960s, they did this study on rats, on um, an addiction. Now, they use the Skinner box for a slew of different studies. Um, so if you do the research on it, you know, they're not all the same, and the box is still named the same because it's named after the doctor who created the box. So let me envision this for you or try to help you envision this. Think of it just a metal box with a simple rat, and there is, you know, this is a little exaggerated, but I'm trying to draw a picture for you. No windows, no uh, no carpet on the floor, no tile, just a metal floor, four metal walls, and a metal ceiling. And there's a lever on the wall. And the lever is you push the lever down, and it spits out a pellet, and the rat eats the pellet. Now, the lever only works on the pellet like every 12 hours. So the, they taught the rat to feed himself. And then on either wall, there's a water bottle. One water bottle just has clean water. And, you know, the typical straw that comes down and you got to lick it and, you know, gravity pulls it out, blah, blah, blah. And on the other wall is water laced with, let's just call it a drug, um, heroin, whatever, cocaine, whatever. Um, 
They want to see, well, how long will it take the rat or will the rat immediately go and say, hey, this has got drugs in it and then just drink from there. Um, and I, I'm going to I don't want to butcher this. So I'll just say they were surprised and that it took a long time for the rat to go to the drugs. Um, but then over time, after drinking several things of water and, and several days going by weeks, I'm not sure exactly. It's been a while since I did the research. Um, the rat finally going to the drugs. But then I think, you know, how, how, if we relate that to today, so if we have a drug user or an addict that we throw in jail, what are we doing? We're, you know, from our law enforcement, it's not, you know, a w- metal walls and ceilings and four walls of metal. But, you know, we got bars and concrete, but it's kind of the same thing. And so it gives me that thought of for drug use, or drug users that have an addiction problem, is incarceration uh, a remedy to it? And like we say on this show, my, my I'm just uh, all I want to do is open your mind, make you think of something in a different way. If it in a positively impacts you, I'm not saying change your mind and this is how you think. I'm just saying, hey, this is what I found. This is what I think. This is how it's affected me. I'm just sharing. So. If we incarcerate people for drug use and they're addicts, and that's their only crime, there's nothing else that goes with it, um, is that the best use of, of our funds to do that? So started me, you know, digging into this a little more. So th- this research was actually duplicated in the, I want to say, late 80s, uh, maybe early 90s in Canada. They took the same Skinner box approach. Um and they changed it and they altered it. They did a, an A and a B. So they did the control just like the original Skinner box to see how long it would take the rat to go to the drugs. And then they changed it. So I'm going to draw a picture for you again. Let's take that same metal box, except this time let's uh, triple it or quadruple it in size. And let's add some shag carpet. Let's add some wallpaper. Let's put a window in so they can see the sunrise and sunset. Let's put a little wheel in there so they can get some exercise. Let's put a little cardboard cutout, a couple rooms in there with some little arched doorways so they can go from room to room. And then let's add some rats to it um, so they're not, not in there by themselves. And then let's do the lever with the pellet and let's do the two water bottles, clean water and drug water. And let's see how long they take before they go to the drugs. And you know what happened? They never, they tasted it, found out that there was drugs in it or it was bad water and they never went to it ever so to me just a simple study that makes me think well if you have a place you can call your own if you have company to keep you busy if you have exercise if you have personal space then maybe that's a remedy and that's not that doesn't say that that one of those things is the opening factor but it's different than four metal walls and no other choice and nothing else to do besides hit the drugs. There's no offense. It's like how long is it before if you were put in that same situation and you're the rat and you're stuck in there and there's seemingly no end in sight and you have no idea what day it is, what time it is as a rat. I mean, as if you're in jail, it's different. But how long does it take you to hit the drugs? I'm just saying that's I, I'm thinking I'm going to be just like the first rat. I, I don't see how I would be any different. Um, maybe not to the degree or the magnitude or the amount maybe, but I'm definitely probably going to try it. There's nothing else to do. So 
So like, it started me digging into it. So let's, I was thinking, well, what is the medical uh, terms for how this is and how it's treated and things like that? And it turns out there's three. So the question still out, is this a specific definable phenomenon, being an addict? Or is it just a moral deficit or a personal fall from grace? So the three choices that this can be, is it it's a disease? It's a choice, or is it self-medication? So if it's, if it's a disease, now these are all have researchers involved in this that come up with this information, and doctors do the research, and brain disease. It's treated just like heart disease, diabetes, and some forms of cancer in that treatment, there's no cure. There's treatment, but there's no cure. And it is proven that depending on a certain amount, whatever that is, it changes the brain and it's irreversible. And the parts of the brain that it, that it changes is process for rewards um, and valued outcomes. It changes the anticipating the reward and motiv- motivating us to go after rewards. That's what it, that's the part of the brain that it affects. And you know, that's, that, that seems like a vicious circle there um, that if depending on why you're doing drugs or alcohol, that this might spiral you out of control. So the brain change is an underlying cognitive control, delayed gratification, abstract skills, you know, being able to compare and predict things and selecting best choices are some of those things where the brain changes. And it, 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 like I said, um, the cause of it is uh, the overexposure to a drugs or whatever. And then, like I said, there's no cure. And that's where you can't tell that to somebody that's an addict. Like, oh, well, that's the egg in the frying pan. Well, once you're in, you're done. But the big part about it being a disease is that if you have insurance, guess what? It's a disease. It's covered. So you get treatment. And you get treatment and treatment and treatment and treatment. And depending on what side of the rock you fall on of how you feel about continuous treatment of that that type, then you might say it's a scam. The doctors figure it out that they get an addict, that there's no scam, and it's that ambulance chaser of, well, I can just put them on the books and I'll just bleed them for all their insurance is worth for this year and then have them come back next year. Depending on how you look at it. I'm not saying all doctors are like that, but... It, it's out there. I can just say, trust me, it's out there. But that, that I don't like when people say that. But it's it, it's got to be out there. So the other one, let's talk about choice. So the choice, um, researchers on this are uh, behavioral economics, a blend of uh, social psychology with some economic thinking. So the cause of, of a choice is a good choice considered rationale. In the short run. So they're choosing to do this. Um, it's a pleasure. Um, a relief from something seems to outweigh uh, other choices in the matter. And then, like I said before, this seems like a spiral effect. So if you do this to relieve something, um, it's then it's going to spiral out of control. And that's how you become an addict, in my opinion. It's an indulgement. Indulgement. And I'm not saying that right. You indulge in this because makes you feel good um 
and you become selfish with it. And like, what makes me feel good? Doesn't matter what the ramifications are. I'm going to do it because it feels good. Um, and then one of the possible causes of this is environmental or economic conditions. So they would say, you know, those that are in poverty or, or in social isolation will choose to do drugs and it's their choice to do drugs. And then the cure, uh, to choice is stop doing it. Um, when conditions change, um, with time and circumstances, so do choices. So basically it's, do you just stop and I can stop. But the problem with this is with choice, it's not a disease and to stop the spiral, you can't back out of it. You're, you're stuck. You don't get treatment. So it's all on your own. You got to stop cold turkey on your own. And I know, um, a few smokers, um, that have, that have quit, tried to quit. And boy, that's, and that's just cigarettes. Granted, you're addicted, but boy, seeing them try to stop and on their own, that's tough. You know, I've seen them go through gum and patches and psychological stuff and, uh, what's the, uh, what's the hypnotist kind of thing? Try to quit smoking. Um, but anyway, so the last one is, uh, self-medication. And this is a developmental thinking researchers are basically it's, it's psychology, um, partly from medicine and partly from sociology. Um, the cause of this is usually bases down from childhood. So this is, you develop emotional problems that erode, um, the sense of well-being, And then you learn to try to cope basically using different things. And then drug is the, what gets you, gets you out of it. Um, or it could not only be trauma or childhood, it, it could be trauma. Um, not just trial childhood and, and developing emotional problems, but it's trauma kind of the same, but different. And that would be, you know, a psychological thing or sexual thing that happened to you. Not only, not just as a child, but any period in life, um, PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome, um, anxiety and depression, that type of thing. So people think, well, I'll just do this to drink drugs, whatever it is to be an addict or addicted to something that they're self-medicating and it, it helps for, you know, a brief time relieves the stress, makes them feel better and until it doesn't. So there's the, those are three choices. So there is no one cure all. There is there's nothing there. There's no definite choice. Um, you can see go on YouTube and hear uh, high you know uh, well known doctors argue both sides or all three points on this. Um, but again, there's no defi- you know it's. It's not a moral deficit. It's not a personal fall from grace. It's not a specific definable phenomenon. And then what the heck is it? So let me give you. So this is one of the last things I did research on that that I that I found that was really really interesting. And that is, and you can Google this or search the interwebs for this. And it is called the Portuguese experiment. So the Portuguese experiment was started in 2001, um, but their problems, really their stats on the problems of the country in Portugal 
started in 1990, where 1% of all of its citizens, 1% of all of its citizens had a heroin addiction. And, you know, 1% is 1%, but the problem with that was sharing needles. So uh, back in the 90s is when HIV uh, really hit. Um, it was new, and research was very new, and um, it wasn't just HIV. It was HIG, HIV, boom, right into AIDS, boom, people were dying. And that's what Portugal was looking at in the 90s. Um, so they had rapid spread from this, so they needed a solution, and they needed it fast because their population was just dying off. And statistically, they ran the numbers, and had they not come up with a change, we're 2020 now, I think it was 2025, they wouldn't have a population. That by this point, the, their entire population, all their citizens would be dead or infected with HIV or or something. So they had to come up with something drastic. And this this is still researched today. Um, it's researched by the United States. It's it's researched by Canada. It's researched by um, the UK. And here's what they did. It's like shut up, John. Tell us what they did. In 2001, they decided that they were no longer going to arrest, try people in court, or imprison people with personal supplies of recreational drugs. That was no more than 10 days of a supply. And the, they got a group of doctors together and the, you know, the brain trust of, of Portugal. And this was huge, but they were up against it. They had no other choice. And they decided, you know, if you think back for the Canada research or the Skinner box, they decided that, they needed to put carpet on the floor and the exercise wheel in and wallpaper on the walls and the little cutouts and give these addicts something else to do besides putting them in a box, a steel box or jail. So what they did was they, instead of spending their money on housing, meals, uh, and treatment, and and not not to mention arrest powers, court dockets with, with you know occupying judges' times and prosecutors' time, uh, they decided to not arrest them and use the money instead for rehabilitation. And this this was hit the citizens that weren't involved in drugs, and the naysayers thought that this was just going to turn the you know. Portugal into a drug infested pile. Well, they were wrong. 2009 illegal drugs use by teenagers dropped. Well, actually, I think I even have some some better stats here. So between 2001 and 2006, the amount of lifetime use of heroin, the drug that was causing the most problems in Portugal, fell by 2.5% to 1.8% among those 16 and 18 years old. Illegal drug use by children in grades 7 through 9 dropped from 14.1% to 10.6%. And the most important one was right here. HIV infections and fatalities caused by heroin and other drugs declined by more than 50% in 
in that five-year stretch. And that that's not to say that's their only purpose, but that was the main goal is to you know prevent their population from dying. One of the most notable statistics to come out of Portugal's decriminalization program was the number of people who enrolled in methadone and treatment for drug addiction from 6,040 before the policy to 14,887 after. The amount of money saved on law enforcement measures also funded drug-free program options. So, again, I'm not saying this was the right way to go. It did work for Portugal. Again, Portugal is not the United States. They don't have the border with Mexico. They don't have Cuba, um, you know, a boat ride away. They don't have the money issue. I mean, there's a lot of different variables here. But in my frame of mind, when I'm thinking about my personal experiences, the friend I just found out that is addicted to drugs and how I handled those friends and family that were had drug issues or addiction issues in the past i'm treating this one different based on this information not because i'm just older i mean i could still protect my my kids and my family and my time um but i'm not going to i'm not going to do that um i'll leave you with one little anecdote or one more anecdote and that is the man in the boat where the dam's going to break so the guy owns this house by a dam and he's out fishing on the boat, and he's got his little transistor radio, and they inter- interrupt his music, and a broadcast comes on and says, hey, the dam's going to break. If you live in this area, you need to get out because it's going to be flooded, and we want to make sure we minimize the number of people harmed by the storm. And the man goes, well, I'm a man of God. I pray every day. God will save me. And then... Apparently, the the dam starts getting worse and worse. Um, a motorboat comes up with a guy in it, and he's he's yelling at him, hey, jump in the boat. The, the dam is getting ready to break, and if it breaks, it's going to flood this whole area, and you're going to die. And the guy yells over, I'm a man of God. I pray every day. God's going to save me. And then the motorboat leaves. And then you can see off in the distance that the dam is breaking. Chunks of the concrete are falling over. The water is starting to rush over the end. And a helicopter flies over to the to the man in the boat and drops a rope ladder and gets on a megahorn and says, Grab the rope. The dam's breaking. I'm here to I'm here to rescue you. And the man said, I'm a man of God. I pray every day. God will save me. And then as he's saying that, the dam breaks. And the guy dies, gets flooded in, and he dies. So he's up in heaven to see God, and he's upset with God. He's like, look, I follow, I read your book. I pray every day. I walk in your light. Why didn't you save me? And God says, I sent you a message over your transistor radio to let you know that the dam was going to break. I sent a man in a motorboat and a way out for you. I even sent a helicopter with a rope uh, ladder to save you in the last minute. Why didn't you listen? So that being said, when now when it comes to my friend that has a drug issue, I want to be the guy in the motorboat. I want to be the guy in the helicopter, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help my friend. Well, that wraps up today's episode on addiction. 
I appreciate you listening. Eli, thanks for doing and for all you do. And until next time, get a feel for your future.